uh, thanks to some navigating of Jen Clark with the rooming, I got to room with like 10 uh, middle schoolers who hate to sleep uh, all week. And so, and uh, it was an incredible, it was my choice and Jen worked it out. It was great. Uh, I got to spend the week with Micah and uh, quite a few uh, kids showed up. It was bigger camp than last year. And uh, we had, uh, it, was, it was just great ministry all week. Um, I'm not sick, I just don't have a voice. So uh, I, those of you that have asked if I'm sick, uh, at least I don't think so yet. So, um, but, uh, but yeah. So uh, this week, so we've been in, uh, those of you who have been with us over the past couple months, uh, we've been walking through Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we've been looking at the heroes of the faith, and today we're going to finally finish Hebrews chapter 11, but chapter 12 and 13 are so good, we may continue this for a week or two more. Um, and so uh, this morning we're going to finish uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, kind of a rundown of uh, just a, a shotgun blast of all kinds of people uh, that were uh, heroes of the faith. And then it wraps up with a therefore, uh, which whenever you read in the Bible, uh, it, it is said by pretty much every cheesy pastor, including me, whenever you read a therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore therefore? Because then you have to look back to look forward as to why it summed up the entire chapter prior. So, um, but before we get started, just to, uh, by way of opening, so there I was, December 24th, 2000, had a life-changing experience for me. Um, I had a lady that I had worked with at Piggly Wiggly, uh, or if you've, if you've ever been to Piggly Wiggly, it also is called the Wobbly Sow, uh, but a lady that I had uh, worked with at Piggly Wiggly uh, was not able to attend the December 24th Green Bay Packers versus uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers game at Lambeau Field, and I had always had a dream of going to Lambeau Field, the frozen tundra, and being able to watch a Green Bay Packer game. And so December 24th, 2000, a friend of mine and I scrounged together all the nickels we could find, and we, we purchased these tickets from this woman because they're, uh, they're booked about 30 years out uh, for getting season tickets for the Green Bay Packers. And so uh, we were, you can't just go and buy the tickets uh, unless somebody is selling them. Uh, illegal at that time. Um, and so uh, we were able to, uh, to per procure these tickets, and I was able to sit through this amazing game. And it was a classic Green Bay Packers game. The temperature was negative 15 uh, with, the, with the wind chill. And uh, all the way through this game, it had just, uh, it was so cold uh, that, and, and again, they're playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you would think these guys, you know, have not been used to the cold. Uh, it had been a, a very slow battle. Uh, back and forth and, and back and forth, but nobody really scored. So we were down to just the last few minutes of the game, and uh, I actually fact-checked my story, and, and, and it turns out I had a pretty good memory for the most part. Um, but down to the last couple minutes of the game, it was 14-3, to 3 and it looked like the Packers were going to win. Now, norm this is the last game of the season, of the 2000 season. Normally, um, what you have near the end of the season is you try to see if your team can make it to the playoffs. So that just means the next round of games to hopefully make it to the Super Bowl. And so uh, it always comes down at the end that there's all these statistics and figures to figure out how your team can make it to the playoffs. And so uh, this year it was one of those, if three teams lose, one team ties, and another team wins by more than 50 points, the Packers would make it into the playoffs. It was like just this weird scenario that they had set up and, and the announcers had been talking about it the whole time. And so on the Jumbotron, there were two Jumbotrons uh, they, they had the other two games on, and all the chips were lining up. 
and it's the last few minutes of the game, and everything was working in order so that the Packers, if they win, would make it into the playoffs. And so I'm just really excited. And then the Buccaneers score, and, and it's a, at that point it, it was 11 uh, to 14, I think is what the score was at that point in time. And then right at the last minute, the Bucks kick a field goal, and now we're going into overtime. So you talk about a bucket list, Green Bay Packers Stadium, Lambeau Field, in December, negative 15, I was so excited. I ripped my shirt off along with several other men in our row, and uh, we didn't have the writing on our bellies, but uh, we, uh, looking back, hindsight is 2020. I should have brought a marker, right? And so, uh, but it is 15 below zero. I've got my shirt off at this Green Bay Packers game, my blaze orange pants on from hunting season, and we're just shouting and excited, and this game is now in overtime. And all the chips continue to fall. Team wins by more than 50 points. Another team loses on the Jumbotron as the other games end. And I'm thinking, we got if the Bears lose and the Packers win, we're in, buddy. And so I'm, I'm just excited. I'm screaming. I'm cheering. I mean, the, the environment is electric. This is Brett Favre at the prime of his career. And so everything is just going crazy. The Packers make it down. 22-yard field goal by Ryan Longwell. Packers win the game in overtime at Lambeau Field just in time to see the other team on the Jumbotron win the game and the Packers don't make the playoffs. However, and I got pneumonia the next week. However, uh, this game will be etched in my mind forever and it was amazing that after as many concussions as I've had over the years that I still remember, uh, remember a handful of the facts correctly uh, and a handful of the names correctly. But there's just something about... Uh, when the crowd is cheering, that helps the competitor to do better. I can remember being a cheerleader in high school, and I felt like I was a part of the team. Like if the team was not doing well, it was on my shoulders to cheer louder and to jump higher and to do backflips. I didn't do backflips. Uh, better uh, to just wake up the crowd and get everybody cheering just so that they can win. I can remember being a competitor in sports events and always looking up into the crowd to see my parents. Didn't you just want to see that approval from your parents when you play sports? Like, I'm doing the right thing. You guys are excited about me. I mean, there's just something about looking up there and not seeing them that, man, it just takes the wind out of your sails. But when you have a cheering section that are there for you, it's exciting. Uh, we've looked at uh, all these different believers um, who have exercised their faith. And we're going to see what their role is to us now. Uh, over the past several weeks, we've looked at faith, and I'm almost ready to be done with, with this visual aid. It's probably our sick of seeing it each week. I, we, we had a little issue at camp uh, with the microphone, too, so I apologize. It might crackle. Um, and so, uh, but what we talked about uh, week one uh, was just that faith is like binoculars, that you are seeing the promises of God in Scripture you're seeing the character and nature of God in Scripture, uh, in, in eternity, uh, in now, and you are walking it out in the day-to-day. -day. And so we can see far, we can see short, and we walk these things out. We can see that God uh, has already said and established certain things in our lives, and we can walk under the banner of those promises. Uh, also said that uh, these believers that we've looked through over so many weeks now, that each of these believers provide a picture of faith that's sort of like a Swiss army knife, that you can pull out the faith of Moses or you can pull out the faith of Abraham and you can look and you can read or the faith of Rahab and you can pull out all these different uh, pieces of the utility knife and you can look and you can say, wow, 
that's how they walk this faith out. Sometimes we can pull it out and we can look at their life and we can say, wow, I definitely don't want to walk it out that way as I'm going through it, right? But we've got this uh, plethora of people uh, that we can look at uh, and each one of them provide a different view of how they walk their faith out. Each of them give us a new nugget. Uh, 90% of these sermons are available online if you want to catch up. Uh, but uh, today is just going to be this big shotgun pick. So let me, uh, let me read uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, don't get scared when I read. We're not going to walk through each one of these uh, multiple people that we're going to look at. I think there's eight guys. Uh, we're not going to look at each of their story today in particular. Um, but Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, uh, Jephthah, uh, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead through resurrection. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might raise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and mockings and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about on skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves in the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us apart from us, uh, they should not be made perfect. Uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are sounded by, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word, and God, we thank you for its perfection, and God, we thank you that uh, your word is used to bring encouragement to the believer. Your word is uh, used to turn the heart of the sinner. Your word is used to uh, shape our faith and encourage our faith and um, inject growth into our faith. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, experience that this morning uh, as we talk about the great cloud of witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're just going to go through uh, kind of... Um, I guess uh, verse by verse for the most part uh, through uh, Hebrews chapter 11 through 12 2 uh, this morning and then we're going to kind of uh, hone in uh, just a little bit at the end and then partake of communion together. Um, and so, so Hebrews, uh, the, the writer just kind of gets sick of uh, talking about all the particulars of the people. He's like, wait, 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 we're getting to the point. We're getting to the point. You've got Gideon and Barak and Samson and Japheth and David and Samuel and the prophets. He just sums up all of the prophets at the end, and then he begins to give us a little bit of what their faith did, starting in verse 33. It says, through who faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of the lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, and became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. And, and you read that, and it's like, yes! This is so incredible that these things happen, that God took weak, sinful people and by their faith, by them believing what they could not see, uh, God does something incredible through each 
one of these people. And he summarizes that. And you talk about winning wars and winning battles. Most of these people in this last group uh, were military leaders for the most part. And so all this stuff. And then he, and then he says, and, and the prophets. And the prophets. So the picture that he's trying to paint, first of all, is of the entirety of Scripture. This walks through the entire Old Testament. Right? We talked about uh, creation and we talked about Moses. And that is the first five books of the Bible. We, we spent several weeks on that. That's the first five books of the Bible. It's also called the Pentateuch, which is like this big Greek word that all it means is five books. And so uh, we talked about these first five books of the Bible. And, 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 and that's what he's displaying is that from the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11 through the end, the entire gamut of the book of the books of the Old Testament are covered. The historical books, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Those are the historical books. We talked about several of those characters. None of them are lacking in the first five books of Moses. None, no, none of that group or, or some of that group ended up in the, the heroes of the faith. And then you look at the wisdom books, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. And in all those books, there are characters that have been talked about in the heroes of the faith. And then you look at the prophetic books, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, uh, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And he paints this picture that every single group, class, and background of people was used, right? Like even one of the guys that was used in the list today um, was, was born of a prostitute, right? And God took him and, and through faith, God transformed his heart and God used him to lead the nation of Israel through battle, right? We talked about last year, Rahab, like they don't get much more sketchy than that, right? And God took Rahab and used her. Uh, God took David in all his sinfulness and called him a man after God's own heart because he had faith in God. God uses the entire, uh, entirety of the Old Testament and all these different characters and uses them as a picture of faith. And then we see in verse 30, verses 33, uh, I'm sorry, 36 through 38, uh, that faith doesn't always play out the way you would figure, right? There's great victories in the first couple of verses we read, and then there is seemingly great earthly defeat in the last group. Uh, look with me at verse 36 through 38. Others suffered mocking, floggings, uh, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. So there's like this other group and they're uh, considered the prophets. And when you look at the lives of the prophets, you see that Ezekiel was uh, stoned by the, by the, Jew, by the Jews. Uh, killed by the Jews. Isaiah was sawn in two. Joel was beaten to death. Amos was tortured to death. Jonah lived alone and in fear the rest of his life. Uh, Micah was killed uh, by the king's son. Nahum was a fugitive the rest of his life. Habakkuk and Jeremiah were stoned to death. Zechariah was killed on the altar and his blood was used for worship of another god. Like you see these guys and these women that did amazing feats for God. And we're like, man, that was incredible. And then there's this other group, and they're the prophets, and they're the ones that they spoke truth. And you just see over and over again that their ending didn't seem very great. I mean, a couple of them lived out their lives, and it was just kind of easy going after they were done being a prophet, and they kind of rode off into the sunset. But man, 
the, the gamut of people that God uses and stories that God uses to bring him glory is mind-boggling. And the one thing uh, that we can go back and look at is faith is the common denominator in all of them. You all have a story that God is writing about you and your faith will not look like the person in front of or behind you. It may look similar to the person next to you if you're married, uh, but your, your living out your faith will look much differently than everybody in this room. And how exciting that that is, that God said, some of you, man, you're going to, in great seasons of suffering, you are going to be able to elevate the name of the Lord. For some of you, in great acts of faith, just blips on the radar screen of your life, you are going to see God do amazing things through you. For some of you, your consistent faithfulness is just going to shine Christ where you're at, wherever you go. And it's going to be the consistency that's going to preach the gospel to those around you. And the exciting part about this is God has invited us into the story of faith that he's writing. That each one of you has an invitation to participate with him through surrender to his son Jesus. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and we hear the word therefore. So whenever you see the word therefore, ask yourself, why is therefore therefore? Um, and so it says, he says this, therefore, so after all these people, all these stories, all these different acts of faith that were done uh, of people that trusted in the Lord, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Like you read this, and, and the picture here where he says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the picture here is of a Roman Colosseum. For me, I picture Lambeau Field. Right. And so uh, the Roman Coliseum, I mean, they just picture your your favorite arena. And these people are all gathered. Like when I think of the Packer game, I went there to cheer on the players. But he said, no, 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 no. Here's the picture is that the lives of these people that are written in the scriptures, they're all like sitting in a stadium, not actually, but sitting in a stadium. And they are cheering your faith on continually. I mean, when you're having a bad day, the arena is still packed. Maybe they went and got a soda, you know, like they're like, well, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. I'll come back when your timeout's over, right? But, but these people are around in the Coliseum, and they are cheering on your faith so that any point in time, any believer can read any one of the stories in Scripture uh, of the heroes of the faith, and we can look at their life, and it's like looking up in the stands and seeing your parents cheering you on in the game. That these people have gone before you and walked out their faith and they are cheering you on. And here's what the writer, I'm going to say Paul, and I think one of the clues is actually in this chapter that it may be Paul. But again, uh, as we said, week one, we're not really sure who wrote the letter. Uh, but so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Uh, these are sort of, uh, sort of two different things like we talk about you know we're like in church so we should talk about don't sin right but he talks about the first thing he says is let us lay aside every weight and then he says and sin so there's weight and there's sin and these are two separate pieces that 
uh, the writer, and I'm going to just say Paul from here on forward, that Paul says, hey, these are two things that if you're wondering what the summary of this whole last chapter was, if you're wondering why I took an entire chapter of Scripture and then chapter 10 before to set the stage to give you all these heroes of the faith, it's all so we can get down to this point. The point is Jesus at the end of the, these verses. But the application for the average person is that we understand the difference between weight and sin. Because just as runners in a race don't run in snowsuits, neither are we to run with extra weight or extra sin clinging to us. The message here is very clear. Strip down. You want to follow Jesus? Strip. Right? That'll, that'll post on Facebook. Right? Like, if you want to follow Jesus and you want to know whether you're doing it right, strip down. Strip down. Uh, Romans, when they would do track and field, uh, they would, at different time periods, um, sometimes would not even wear shoes. But they would be getting ready for the race, and you've seen the basketball players where they're ready to go in, and they just take their pants, and they rip them off, and they've got their jersey underneath, right? And they take their shirt, and they, oh, they rip it off, and they jump, just run into the game, right? When a runner was getting ready to race, they would... PG-13 here, they would strip to the buck. I mean, they would just, everything comes off when they would run in a Roman race. There was nothing that they wanted to hold them back. The only thing that they would wear is sandals, and not even everybody wore sandals. Sometimes they were just buck from head to toe, right? And so these guys raced so that they would win. He says, lay down every weight and sin. So what is the difference between weight and sin? Uh, Weight is just simply excess. I think all of us, for the most part, maybe a few of you, I'm going to look up at the ceiling so nobody feels judged, would say that we've got a little bit of weight that we could lose. I think the majority of us would say, I'm going to just keep staring at this fan and act like it's a person, that we all would probably say, I could stand to lose a pound or two, right? And so here's what the writer's saying. Uh, This this weight uh, represents neutral activities. he's, he's, He's given us two different categories. There's weight that's just excess, excess that we can shed very quickly and get in the game. These are neutral activities that sometimes pile up. Uh, they can also be, if there was a video about them, it would be called Hobbies Gone Wild. So these are where you, you begin to, to love something so much and invest so much time and effort into it that it slows you down. If I go to run this afternoon and I wear jogging pants and a shirt and a winter hat, and then a backpack and carry a water bottle as I run one hand and maybe I grab one of the cute babies that's in church in the other hand and I'm running like that. It, it, is any of that sin? Is it sin to wear jogging pants? No, I mean, maybe if they're too tight, right? Um, but otherwise, if you're just running with a little bit of extra on you, it's going to slow you down. It doesn't keep you from playing in the game, but it can become a distraction, especially if there's a cute baby in my arm, right? Like, who's your boo-boo, right? It's, and so now I'm... Now I'm distracted, right? It's hobbies gone wild. Weight will not cause you to stop, but it does cause you to slow down. And our, our response to reading these stories of faith should be to run light. Like if you just take it at face value in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, you don't see the weight and the sin in these people's lives. If we just read through Hebrews chapter 11, the weight and the sin is not in their lives. Because when God called them to do the particular uh, calling that he placed on them, weight and sin were not a part of their lives. That was what we were supposed to take from this. If we read intimately the stories of these people, 
we looked at a lot of weight and a lot of sin in their lives. Wouldn't you agree? Like as we took week after week and we looked at the life of Moses and we saw some of his shortcomings, some of his sin, some of his distractions. And if we took the life of David and if we took the life of Samson, good night. You'd spend more time talking about his weight and sin than the good things they did, right? We don't see the weight and sin. And that's what the, the author is trying to show us is that in these great acts of faith, the one thing that was missing is the weight and the sin. It's not present in the New Testament. Do you know why? Because does anybody know why? What happened between the end of these stories, we'll go with Malachi, and the book of Hebrews? Christ came and erased their sin. Right? And God is a God that says he takes your sin when you turn from it. He takes your sin and tosses it as far as the east is from the west to be seen no more and remembered no more. It says he buries it at the bottom of the ocean floor. Imagine if you were one of the heroes of the faith and you just picked up the Bible and you're reading and you're like, well, God sure left a whole lot out of my story. <laughs> like, I wonder why I only got one verse there. I had a pretty long life. It's like, because you had a lot of weight and a lot of sin there for a long time. I mean, imagine. But he hones it down. He says, no, 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 no. The one thing you don't see is weight and sin. So weight is those neutral activities that tend to go wild in our lives and take up too much of our time and distract us. And the sin, he says, so easily entangles us. We could say that about the weight too, right? Like there are plenty of times where we realize if we legitimately stepped on the scale, the weight caught up with me, right? <laughs> Again, it's kind of funny because a couple weeks ago, my doctor called me fat. So we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, camp did not help that problem. I'm just going to say the, the baking was great. But as a child of, a God, of God, we have a responsibility to unashamedly hit sin uh, head on. Where weight is meant to slow us down, sin is meant to injure you and keep you from being, uh, to getting off the bench. Sin will keep you benched. Weight will slow you down. Sin will keep you benched. I remember a time in Bible study when somebody asked me, uh, what is the list of sins? Like, it was, it was the most adorable thing. It was a young believer, and they're just like, just give me the list so I don't do the list. I just want the list of sins so that I can not do them. Let me tell you, if I gave you the list, uh, it, it, and if there was this magical list of intimately every single sin and every little heart condition that would be considered sin, it would overwhelm you. And you would either try to become your own Messiah by fulfilling the list and denying God that way, or you would just look at the list, get overwhelmed, and just live in it anyways. Like that's the reality of sin is that it's so deeply embedded in our heart. It will always be a battle. And the author says that. He says sin that so easily entangles us. You will see sin uh, creep up in your life no matter how godly you perceive yourself to be or no matter how godly others perceive yourself to be. Sin will just uh, entangle you at different times. But Paul says what you need to do is I need you to lay aside every weight and sin. I need you to do battle because God is writing a story for you. Sin at its core is simply rebellion uh, from God and his authority in your life and, and its rejection of his law that God has written. It's looking at the Ten Commandments, looking at the character of God, looking at the nature of God, um, uh, looking at the fact that God deserves to reign over our lives and saying, I got better things to do. I've got a better plan, right? I'm just going to eat the fruit because the fruit looks good. I mean, that's what sin is, and that will get you from time to time. 
Nobody is apart from sin. However, when we are running the race of faith, when we see it, we run from it. Uh, sin will keep you on the bench in four ways. Uh, this is just a point of application for you. Uh, sin will keep you on a bench in four main, main ways. Number one, the longing for sin. This is a bencher. The longing for sin. Uh, on the next page, literally, uh, James chapter 1, verse 14 says this. It gives us the pattern of sin. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his or her own desire. That desire, when it is conceived, give, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Right? And so, uh, did you see that it wasn't just, oops, I sinned? It was... Uh, it was, uh, the recipe was, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed. Those are the two words, lured and enticed. And when you perseverate, when you focus on that luring and that enticing, and you allow that into your life, when you perseverate on that, or uh, when you long for that sin, that will keep you on the bench. It will put you on the bench. Number two, listening to the lies of sin, the lies of you need it, you can't stop it. It will complete what is lacking in you. When you listen, spend time listening to those lies, it will put you on the bench. Number four, uh, listening to the reminders of past sin. We've dealt with this, I think, two weeks uh, in this study, uh, but reminders of your past sin. Um, maybe uh, you see a relationship that, was, that you hurt and it comes up again in, in front of you and you're able to look at that and say, wow, I really hurt that person or that person uh, really hurt me. Uh, when this, 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 or this happened, and it reminds you of your sin, and you're entrapped by it, um, or, or, or next, your value is wrapped up in your past sin, and not in God's mercy and love through your sin. Uh, and then number four, just simply the practice of sin, dabbling in it and dribbling, dripping with it, it doesn't matter. When you decide to mess with sin, you are messing with death. That is death to relationships, that is hurt to yourself, that is cost to the people around you. And then he says this, then Paul sums it up with this. Lay aside every weight and sin, so strip down naked uh, from weight and sin, which clings so easily, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, we talked about that a few weeks ago, stay in your lane. Uh, number two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we look at Christ, we gain fuel. Uh, when we looked at his, look at his faith walked out, we gain fuel uh, for the uh, path that's in front of us. He's like the, his life is the best sports drink that you can have. You know, you see the, the Gatorade commercial with the guy that's sweating the color of the, of the Gatorade, right? It's just, oh, it's seeping through his pores, and he has energy to keep going. That's what looking at the life of Christ is, looking at the cross of Christ, looking at what God has done for us. We remember the beginnings of our faith, that he was the author. We can look back and say, I remember when you started a good work in me. I feel that, I've experienced that, and I love that, God. Give me fuel. Run with endurance. Remember that he is with us in the midst of our struggles, that he's the uh, author, but he's also the perfecter. Uh, God will see your book written and published. God will see it through. Uh, he will keep you from slipping as we trust in him and walk forward by faith. Number four, we remember uh, his grace. He endured the cross. And Jesus says, it is finished. 
our sin was finished, and we are like the heroes of the faith at that point. That there is a point where we met Jesus, and he doesn't look or address you as being someone who has sinned. He addresses you as his child with no sin. With no sin. You will not find their story in the New Testament. God's grace collides with each one of their stories. And when he collides with your story, he erases your sin as you surrender to him. So um, the band is going to begin to make their way up and we're going to kind of celebrate and finish off with communion. Uh, and so the way that we do that here, anybody's welcome to join us. Uh, that's here. It's a believer in Jesus Christ and follower of the Lord. You're, you're welcome to join us and to celebrate communion. Um, I had an, 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 um, a great experience on Thursday night at camp. Uh, we had uh, a bunch of kids responded to the message. And uh, as I was sharing the gospel, uh, a hand went up. And, and a woman who had gone to church all of her life and was uh, welcomed into the, to being our camp nurse actually um, raised her hand and she accepted Christ. And she had never actually heard uh, about her relationship with Jesus the whole time that she had gone to church. She had never heard uh, that God's grace and the cross demands that we respond. And, and here's what Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians it's built into, um, it's, this invitation is built into um, doing communion. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28. Let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Here, here's what Paul is saying. And uh, guys, ushers, if you guys want to start handing out the juice and the bread, we're going to hand it out. Just hold on to both of them, and we'll partake of them after we're done. You can sing with us. If you want, if you need to stand up and just shout, do it. Uh, if you need to just quietly pray. But here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to take the time every single time that your church does communion. Here's what I want it to be. I want it to be an opportunity for you to examine yourself. That could be examining yourself and saying, wow, have I really trusted on Jesus with my life? That could be, uh, how is my walk? But Paul says, don't just do it flippantly. Go ahead and uh, take time. And think over your life and your life of faith and your story. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word and its perfection. God, I thank you for the gospel and the freedom that's there. I thank you that the cross breaks every chain. I thank you that the um, Holy Spirit draws us to you, God. And just pray that we would respond well. Um, Lord, I pray that you would uh, just guide this time. Help us to examine ourselves well.
chapter 11 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25 here's what Paul writes for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We want to run through that maybe one more time while we'll stand.
surround